Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan here, and we are diving into a big book study today. Today we are on page 72 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are starting a new chapter today. So it's a great day. Into action. So we've moved through the first four steps and how it works, and we've gotten these two mental steps under our belt, which is I'm powerless over alcohol and I can't live my life well. My life is unmanageable. And then step two we did where we're willing to believe, willing to come to believe, right? We don't have to believe in a God. We don't have to have any faith of any kind. We don't have to have religion, but be willing to believe that there's something greater than me that can restore me to sanity. We covered that part. And then we became willing to turn our will and our lives over to care of God. In this case, especially if you're new and you're agnostic, atheist, or you're super religious or whatever it is, you know, you just don't know. You don't like any of those labels. Don't label me one of the things. We're going to just deliberately follow a different set of directions that we're going to give ourselves completely over to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and just do these step things. So that lands us at into action. We're going to take those things, uh, mostly mental activity, right? We've made a list of resentments. So that was the only real physical work that we had to do in our four step. And we've gotten an idea of some of our rougher handicaps that we're going to carry into step five. So we get into step five at the beginning of this chapter. And here is the benefit of step five, self-forgiveness. I mean, a lot of people want to push up against the idea that I got to tell another human being the exact nature. And we're going to get back to that word nature of our wrongs. And here's, here's how I like to frame it up. And maybe you guys have another way, but maybe you'll find something in this. And that's like this. When you go to a church, especially like a Christian church, and you were to ask everybody there, who is a sinner, right? If you were to ask everybody there, who is a sinner? Just about everybody in the audience, regardless of the size of the audience, would raise their hand. Everyone in that environment's perfectly comfortable with being a sinner. If you followed that up with this question, which of you got drunk last night? Very few, if any, would raise their hand. We don't like the nature of our sin. We do not like the nature of our wrongs. So we come to AA, and in the first step, we get comfortable with saying, hey, I'm Dan Dan, and I'm an alcoholic. And that seems good enough. What we want to do is get down to the nature of the alcoholic. And the skill that comes out of this is a really, really important skill. And that it focuses on us getting stronger spiritually and getting better able to do things like practicing humility, honesty, and above all, fearlessness. And that's the purpose of step five, to discover the nature in us. So I'll do that with you right now. If I'm to get down to telling somebody a story I don't want anybody to know, they're going to discover that I'm afraid of a lot of things. They're going to discover that I'm a pretty weird dude sometimes. They're going to discover that I'm a thief when I'm drinking, that I'm a liar, that I'm unfaithful, that I'm disloyal, that I'm not trustworthy, that I lack confidence, that I'm really just a scared little dude with a bunch of scared little plans trying to fight his way through this world without God. Consequently, my character defects own me. I don't turn them over, so to speak, or I don't use the steps of AA in order to overcome them. So let's dive into step five. I know that's a long intro. We're not going to go too long with this, but uh, 
Here we go. Step five, page 72 in your big book. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs would be the step. So that's the framework, right? The exact nature of our wrongs. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path called character defects. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory, on the weak items in our personal inventory. Remember that. Now we're going to much stronger ones. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact, exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. What he's talking about there is we tend to lie to ourselves. And we have this little sucker up in our brains called a mind that will rationalize and justify and blame and be the victim and all kinds of things to say, you know, what I did wasn't so bad. I, I, I just don't want to think about it anymore. It's in my past. I, I just forget it. I leave it alone, right? That's sort of a religious approach to this. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled. In other words, we'll be able to come together with ourselves and put back together in a way, reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Of course, they don't end easier, do they? Resentment is the number one offender, the main reason why we go back out. And of those resentments, resentments of ourselves, the way we see ourselves, is probably, at least in my experience, at the top of the list. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. Isn't that funny? The thing we don't want to share is the most rotten bit of fruit in the refrigerator. It's the stinky, most putrid chunk of meat that we have, right? It's the worst stuff that has to go. I'm in the restaurant business, so I think of it in terms of food. But how would you like it if a restaurant doing inventory kept the oldest, nastiest, worst food and still tried to serve it to you? Because I think that's sort of the picture they're drawing here. It doesn't work, and it will kill your business. Your business is sobriety. They only thought, they used their minds, not God. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough of our, here's our key things, humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story, all 
All. All of it. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. What? What? I, I just, I'm a chameleon, you know? I, I'm highly adaptive. It's a skill. I can be whoever, I, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. What, what are they? How could that be wrong, right? It's, it's this great asset that I have, that I'm sociable and I'm good in all circumstances. I can sell ice to an Eskimo type of stuff. Wait a second here. It goes on. It says, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his sense, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. And you know, that's so true today in that when I was drinking one time, my wife recorded something I was doing on our back porch at like four in the morning in a very loud and vocal way, screaming at my neighbor's obscenities. And I was in a blackout. So I wake up the next day and I don't believe it. And my defense when I was confronted with it was to say, no, that didn't happen. That's ridiculous. Like my wife is that kind of creative, right? She just makes this stuff up. Of course, that's not true. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. In other words, told them the truth. How many of us told a doctor, I have a few drinks. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. We pay people that are experts to tell us what to do so we won't tell them the truth and not do what they say. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance of recovery. We must be entirely honest, rigorously honest, relentlessly honest, unwaveringly honest, right? We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. If we want to build trust with people, we got to be honest. And if there's a foundation to good personal relationships, it is trust. It is trust. And when we can be honest consistently, predictably, and reliably, not only do we build our own dignity, our own sense of self-worth, but our character in other people's minds also elevates. If we want to have those relationships back, we must be honest, right? Right, and back to the book says, rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination, which requires confession, must, and of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. So this is something with great emphasis in the book, that who you do your fifth step with matters. And clergy have often heard all types of crazy stories. They've heard it all, and they're sworn to secrecy. They can't be compelled to testify or any of that type of stuff. So they're a great place to go. You don't have to believe in any religion to do it. 
It's just a great place to go. Today, we have this tendency to move towards sponsors for this kind of thing. And it doesn't mention sponsors in here other than if you want to fit it into a trusted friend. So that's not necessary. It's not required. If you're uncomfortable with this step with your sponsor, it's fine. Go find someone you don't know. Go to an AA meeting that's 150 miles away and pick someone randomly out of it that's willing to listen to you. It doesn't make any difference. The point is that you must do it. Back to the book. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth, understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own families, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. Critical thing to carry forward. Because that's going to come up again in the ninth step. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Let that get into your mind. We have no right to get what we want at another person's expense. We've spent our lives doing that. It's wrong and hurtful. And it's the primary character, not the nature of it, but it's a character that kind of overwhelmingly describes our behavior, that we work to get what we want at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. So this isn't just to get this off of your chest for the sake of you. This is to free yourself from your past transgressions through self-forgiveness by being able to not wish it were different, not have that guilt and shame pop up so powerfully, not have these things own you with anxiety and panic attacks. You know, it's an ability for you to move forward in service to others. That's why this is so critical. So we can't be ready to serve others if we're hurting others. Let's go on. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available, like you're in prison or something like that. If that is so, this step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. So you're in prison and you only get a, a access to clergy like once a month or once a quarter or something like that. That willingness needs to be present always and readiness when you have the opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It's, it's a really important thing. He's emphasizing that again. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan, but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. Once again, you'll hear people talk about working on a fifth step. It, the only way you're working on a fifth step is if you're sitting down telling it to somebody. We waste no time. It's a vital thing that you move through these steps as quickly as possible, that you learn the skills as pragmatically as possible. No one does it perfectly. There's no such thing as finishing. There's no such thing as completely having done these things. It's just the best of your ability right now. And you will have every opportunity in this beautiful life of AA to revisit these things as you go along to practice, to build in skill and knowledge. That's what practice means, build in skill and knowledge, the using of these tools called steps in order to move yourself into a happy, joyous, and free life. 
So he says, we waste no time. We waste no time. We have a written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. And I'm going to add to that. Even if he's in the program and he knows all that, make sure you verbalize or say out loud that you know that, that you know the mission you're on. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. There's that significance to these activities and these steps that Bill has given us over and over again in this book. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. And this is what we do. You guys ready? So this is what the fifth step actually is. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. What? I think about that. He said, I just revealed to somebody every dark cranny of my past, and I'm delighted. That's how he's connecting it. We can look the world in the eye. Who's wanted to do that for a long time and not be lying, not be manipulating, right? We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Wow. Our fears fall from us. Wow. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The intellect becomes the emotional and they come together. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, another term for God, the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Step five. So he sets us up for step five. He gives us all sorts of groundwork, why we must do it, because to not do it could be fatal to us, that it's a life and death matter. And he sets us up for how to pick the person that's going to hear it. And he seems to favor clergy, but I've experienced people that have used attorneys and others as well, counselors, psychologists, whoever it is. It is important that you absolutely trust them and are willing to reveal everything to them. And one way to think about this is the audience makes all the difference. The secrets in one place are not secrets at all in another place. The best way I know to describe this to you is to say, if you sat at the bar and drank, you know, 25 shots of bourbon, you'd be bragging to all your bar friends about how much bourbon you drank, you know? You'd be laughing about it. It would be something of no concern at all other than how awesome you are for being such an incredibly good customer of the bourbon company. In that same night, with that same story, if you get pulled over by a police officer, you will not be so forthcoming with that story. It will not seem like the thing you want to say because the audience is not correct for this thing you want to brag about, right? We've all lied through our teeth to the police officer. And that's the example Bill gives in the fifth step is that we go to these doctors and we don't want to admit. We don't want to be honest with them. So they're not the right person necessarily. It's important you find that person, that professional, that set of circumstances where you are absolutely comfortable revealing everything. And just because somebody's in AA doesn't make them the right person automatically. That doesn't mean that they relate automatically. You may have something to share that's perhaps devastating for someone else to know. So we'll get to amends and all that stuff later. The fifth step remains a very, very important step. And the idea is once it's exposed, 
You can forgive yourself. You can reframe it. And the things of your fifth step later on convert to your greatest asset. So if you're a sponsor right now, or if you're in a meeting right now listening to this, perhaps the discussion is around that. Those of you that have done a fifth step, how did this convert? How did doing something that seems for some of us to be so scary become delightful at the end? How did you experience these fifth step promises as they're known? Because the whole thing about the fifth step in the, in the big book is we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. Is that what I'm supposed to believe, right? And it goes on to say that we can look the world in the eye. We become at this place of perfect peace and ease and our fears fall from us. We feel closer to God. It even overcomes long-held religious and spiritual beliefs. How did that happen for you? What was that like for you? And for those of you who have not done a fifth step, maybe share or talk about with your sponsor or your group. What is it that scares you about it? What do you think is going to happen? So I hope you guys have a great discussion around the fifth step. This is a critical turning point and into action will have several of them. That's why we're going to go through into action as the steps. So when we get done with this fifth step, we're going to move right on into the sixth. I hope you have a great discussion.